convicting thought that is. Yeah, we know, many of us know exactly what God wants us to do. Every day when we wake up, we know we're supposed to live, we know His Word, we know His promises, but so often we choose not to believe and to think about the things, the victories, the blessings that we've missed out on or, haven't, or the things that we haven't been able to do for God, and it's simply just because we haven't believed and haven't put faith in Him to do those things and taking that step of obedience. Let's stand together this morning, Luke chapter 7. My wife picked out that song before she knew when I was preaching, and we're looking here in Luke chapter 7 on the thought, from doubt to belief. We're continuing here in our series, This is Jesus. We've, we've seen uh, Jesus do some incredible things. We've seen, him, we've seen him meet some people that really didn't uh, like him and didn't believe he was the Messiah, that did not want to follow him, did not want to listen to him, and and then we find many others that chose to follow him, and we find Jesus here with his disciples, and he's about to be approached by the disciples of John the Baptist, whom we, we spent some time on John back in January, uh, when we first started getting going here on this series. But let's look here today, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 18. It says, And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. And John called unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way. And tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. From doubt to belief. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for the privilege that it is to be in church together today. And I thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've blessed us with, all that you've given. And God, truly it is. Lord, a wonderful thing to be able to have your word in our possession, to learn from it, to be helped by it. Lord, and to have the privilege to preach it, I'm truly thankful. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us in this, these few moments in this message, God. I pray that you would enable me, give, fill me with your spirit, use me, God, to deliver this truth. God, I pray that you would be with our hearts and lives, every single one of us in this auditorium this morning. Lord, that we would have a heart ready to uh, be examined. 
with our heart ready to receive your truth. And God, I pray that if there is changes, Lord, for any of us to make, God, we would be willing, but God, we would be obedient to make those changes. Well, bless us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I was studying this week, I discovered an ocean creature that I had never heard of before, and that is the whelk. Has anybody ever heard of a whelk? Anybody? A couple of you? I ended up losing about an hour of my week as I discovered the whelk, and then I started to watch videos and, and read articles on what the whelk does and how it operates. It's, it's this little creature that lives in a shell, often the size of a, that you'd find a hermit crab living in, sometimes smaller, sometimes bigger. But the whelk is this little creature that lives in this shell that feasts on mostly oysters or mussels. And this whelk will go and will attach itself to that mussel or to that oyster and it will, it will attach itself in such a way that it has this little appendage that comes out with somewhat of a corkscrew on the end and it will begin to drill and peck away at the shell leaving a hole the size of the point of a pin. And once it gets that appendage in there, it will then, little by little, uh, suck out every part of that oyster, every part of that muscle, until it's gone. This, this little creature that does a lot of damage to anything that it attacks. As we look at this passage here, we see a great man of God dealing with a doubt. And I want to tell you this morning, a little bit of doubt can do damage to a person. This, this little creature does quite the damage to anything that it attaches itself to. And this morning, a little bit of doubt in your life, a little bit of doubt in my life can do damage to my walk with the Lord, to my faith with him, to the things that I do for God. James chapter 1, verse 5, we look at this often. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. Then it goes on to verse 6, it says, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed so those people that are not living by faith those people that are not asking in faith they they are there's no stability and as we look at our life and, and many of us have been in church much of our life we understand the word of God we've taught others we've raised children in church but if we allow a little bit of doubt in our life we will begin to waver at times won't we there's no stability in, for the Christian that lives in a state of doubt. And as we look at our text here, we find John the Baptist in possibly the most unstable stage of his life. And there's a few things that we can learn from this today. And the first thing that we see as we begin this text is that, first of all, doubt can come to the strongest of Christians. Doubt can come to the strongest of Christians. Everybody understands this morning who John the Baptist is. If you don't, I want to tell you, he was the forerunner for the Messiah. He was a prophet. The Bible says that he was the greatest prophet, and he came, as the Bible says, to prepare the way of the Lord. He was prophesied. Just as Jesus was prophesied, John the Baptist was prophesied. Jesus had a very high opinion of his cousin. He said, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What a testimony. What a thing to put on the resume. Jesus himself said, there's none greater, no prophet greater than John. You know, back in January, go ahead, go ahead and look back at Luke chapter 3. Back in January, we studied together the baptism of Jesus by John. And if you look there in Luke chapter 3, just a few pages back, about six months in, and we've gone just a few pages in our Bible, don't be discouraged by that. 
But in verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable, and many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. He came preparing them for Jesus. And he preached a message, a quite fiery message, I might add, where he looked at the, the Pharisees, he called, he called them serpents. Continue on there in verse 19, we, we see something that happened uh, much beyond this. Luke gave us an early glimpse of it, but it says, But Herod the Tetrarch, John preached this message, being reproved by him, by John, for Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So John preached this message without apology, and he preached and directly pointed out the sin of Herod. Herod had committed adultery with the wife of his half-brother. And John preached about this and, and, and brought this up. Everyone knew about it, and he called it out as it was. It was sin. He preached against that adultery. The Bible says those words he used, he reproved him. And I, I just want to encourage all of us today... Just as John stood against sin, all of us need to be prepared to stand against sin, to stand for what the Bible says. And I hope all of us would expect the pastor of this church to preach against things that are contrary to the Bible. I want to help people as they're here. We want to exhort one another and encourage one another, but we also need to speak the truth as God directs. And we need to live as Christians according to and teach others and bring our children up according to the Bible as well. John preached the truth. And because of this, John was placed into prison, just as it says there in Luke chapter 3. And by the time we get to this place in the book of Luke here in chapter 7, I believe he'd been in prison in that place that he was for seven months. And that brings us there to verse 18 when John brought some of his own disciples, some of his own followers to him to take a question to Jesus. Very strong Christian. One of the greatest prophets was living in doubt. You know, doubt can come through many different circumstances. John's disciples came with his message to Jesus. They asked, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Do we continue to follow you? Do we continue to point other people to you? Or do we just need to wait until the true Messiah comes? And, and we think about the last seven months of John's life. He had plenty of time to himself in those last seven months. A lot of idleness there in that prison and discouragement left him to his human mind and human reasoning. And in prison, he came to doubt the very person of Jesus. But this is the same John that preached so boldly Concerning Jesus. This is the same John that seven months before saw, or a little longer, saw Jesus coming down the way. And he said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he baptized him. And God the Father spoke at that moment. And John experienced all of those things. You know, there was a time when there was no doubt in John's mind who Jesus was. But after he was thrown into prison and left to himself, he began to doubt. Has anyone here ever been through a difficult time to a point where you would admit this morning you have doubted God? Anybody? I have. One of the greatest men we have recorded in history came to that point in his heart. 
What caused John to doubt? We can ask a question to us this morning. What would cause us to doubt? One thing we know that was there for John was, was discouragement. You know, John was a man that was very used to the wide open spaces of the desert and now he finds himself locked for months in a dungeon. He's a man used to liberty. Wore whatever he wanted. He ate whatever he wanted. He did, he said, definitely said whatever he wanted. Now he's bound in chains and fetters. This confinement and the situation that he had caused him to entertain doubts that he normally would have never allowed to enter his mind. Have you been there before? Maybe right now there's people in here that are in a situation that is difficult that you cannot change. Maybe there's a problem in in your life or something that came up this week that you can't solve. You've tried to, but there's nothing you can do to solve it or, or fix it. Maybe right now you're in a somewhat of a prison experience that you cannot escape from. And when that happens, we can expect doubt to come. Expect discouragement in those situations. Discouragement will come to all and can affect the life and service of any Christian. Discouragement can cause us to doubt everything we know and believe. And not only discouragement will, could bring doubt, but disappointment may bring doubt. You know, I, I would think this morning, John was the cousin of Jesus. We understand that. Jesus had already spent some time with John and, and, and his disciples. John's disciples were now some of them with Jesus. I think John imagined, you know, during those seven months, at any point now, Jesus is going to come and these doors are going to open. He's going to set me free. Because Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus could do anything and surely he could have set John free. But Jesus never came to rescue John. And day by day, John kept waiting, no doubt, for Jesus to come and, and, to, and to release him or Jesus to lead the army that would take over the Roman Empire. And it, and it never happened and John became discouraged and began to doubt. Because isn't that what Jesus is supposed to do? He's supposed to help me. You know, often we are in a difficult time and we think we know what should happen in the situation. You know, God, it sure would have been much easier if I didn't have to deal with this problem every day. God, it would be a lot better for me if I wasn't fighting this illness or this person I care about wasn't dealing with this heartache. God, I sure could use your help here. Or God, I, I sure could use a, a miracle there. And then when God does not do what we think he should do or he does not do what we have asked him to do, there's a tendency for us to become disappointed in God. And maybe we entertain a thought, and no doubt John may have, The Lord has done this for that person. The Lord did this for this person. The Lord gave that person sight. The Lord healed that person. The Lord uh, worked that relationship out. Why won't he do it for me? Disappointment comes. Disappointment can lead to doubt if we're not careful. You know, John the Baptist came to this mindset of doubt because he listened to his own doubts and fears. When we listen to what we think or what we feel, what we see or what our heart tells us, we are in the beginning of trouble, aren't we? I want to tell you this morning, you can't trust your eyes. 
because they don't see what God sees. We can't trust what we feel because the Bible has told us to walk by faith, not feelings, not sight. We certainly can't trust our heart this morning because the heart is deceitful, isn't it? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Wicked. Who can know it? When we allow ourselves to be governed by our own thinking, our heart is destined for trouble. But if you've done that, if that's you today, if you're living with some doubt in your heart today, you are not alone. You're not the only one to do that. As we look throughout the Bible, we see great heroes of the faith having doubt. We could go very, all the way back to the life of Abraham. And Abraham left everything he had known and loved to follow God as a pilgrim in this unknown land he had never been to before. What happened shortly after he arrived there, he, he gets there and a drought comes. And then he, he flees for Egypt and then fears what the Egyptians will do. And all these things happen. He doubted the promises of God. What about Elijah? Elijah was this powerful prophet. He stood there alone on Mount Carmel. He faced down a king, a a false god in a nation. He prayed down fire from heaven. And then later on, he crawled underneath a juniper tree asking God to let him die. What about doubting Thomas? Thomas, in, in John chapter 11, was prepared to die with Jesus. We find him about 10 chapters later not believing that Jesus had risen from the dead just like he said he would. Know this today, when doubts come, you are not alone. You're not the only one. If the devil could do that to the greatest prophet, he can do it to you. Are you in a time of doubt? Is Satan or the flesh attempting to turn your heart away from what God has told you or what God has promised to you? You know, when Jesus understood where John was, there's something he wanted him to know and there's something we need to know this morning. Our doubts do not change who Jesus is. We look look there in verse 20. When the men were come unto him and they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or... Look we for another. What happens in the next verse? And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto them that were blind, he gave sight. You know, Jesus didn't rebuke John here. You know, as, as we read this, these, these men come asking this insane question as we understand what the Bible says. And Jesus looks at them and he could have said, are you kidding me? Does John not remember, not not even around a year ago, what happened? Does he he not remember the interaction we had and when he baptized me and all that God did and, and and prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled? How does he not remember these things? Tell him he's losing his mind and needs to needs to man up. But he looked at these disciples of John when they brought this question to him and you know, maybe he said, I hear you, Let, just come with me for a little bit. Maybe he just turned around and started doing these things. But what we know is he, he right away began to heal people with plagues and diseases. Then he goes over and he casts out a demon. 
Then he goes and he sees a blind man and he gives sight to the blind man and he performed the works that were prophesied the Messiah should do that we find in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the, shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing for the, in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. John knew all the prophecies. He's a prophet. These followers of John no doubt knew exactly what Isaiah 35 said. And after they ask this question, they have the opportunity to follow Jesus around as he does every one of those things. Jesus proved himself. The doubt of the great prophet had changed nothing about who Jesus truly was. And I want to tell you today that Jesus is just as strong in your greatest time of doubt as he is in your greatest moments of faith. And as Jesus did these things, he then had a word for John. He said there in verse, uh, verse 22, he, he said, go your way. Tell John everything you just saw. There's my answer. You look at verse 23. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And tell him not to be offended in me just because I'm not doing what he expects me to do. Don't let this, this prison experience, don't let this difficulty bring you to a point of unbelief or rebellion. Because my will is different than John's will. I'll tell you this morning, God's will is different than your will. There's going to be people who doubt the truth of Jesus and stumble or give in to the pressure of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's going to happen in your life. There's going to be moments when things happen and we doubt. But this morning we need to be determined to remember who he is and that his way is different than ours. And understanding that, keep going. Don't give in. What, what might cause us to doubt God today? What about personal tragedy? What about popular influences? Politicians, news anchors, teachers, philosophers, writers, people that are important to you. They may cause you to doubt God. What about some things that we find in the Bible that are not yet fulfilled? What about wrong expectations? There's going to be many things in our life that we will never have the answers to. But we need to come to a place where we simply trust God even when we cannot trace or understand what he is doing. You know, often during a trial of our life, we will, we will not see the Lord do things that we think he should be doing. There's a lot of things this morning that I, I think would really help us if it happened in our community or in our country or a lot of things that could happen in my own family that would be wonderful if they would come to pass, but God's will is different than my will. And so many times our problem is similar to John's and we fail to see the big picture. You know, John wanted everything fixed right at that moment. He wanted to be rescued. He wanted Jesus to lead the army to defeat Rome. That's the picture that John always had. That our Messiah is going to come and he's going to lead us to victory. 
But John didn't fully understand what Jesus had to do. Jesus had to die and, 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 and rise again, and then it'd be over 2,000 years later to this, to this point before he would truly establish his kingdom. You know, often we do not see everything that God is doing because his ways are higher, his thoughts are greater. But what we have to do is understand he hasn't changed. Trust him or doubt will take you to a very low place. Cast the doubts aside. Trust God for things that we cannot see, things that we cannot feel, things that we cannot understand and come to a place of obedient faith in him. I tell you this morning, Our God is a God of power and purpose. So we can trust him. And and that is the truth that he wants you to remember in every moment of doubt. First thing we see, doubt can come to the strongest of Christians. Second thing, moments of doubt do not change how God sees us. What a wonderful truth that is. Even when you doubt God, he doesn't see you any differently. What what does Jesus do here as we get into verse 24? Jesus describes John. So his disciples left. It says, and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What did you go to see? The next thing, a man clothed in soft raiment? Verse 26, what went you out for to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. Jesus begins to describe John, and all these people knew what was going on. Many of his disciples that might have been with him at that moment heard the disciples of John questioning. They had the audacity to ask Jesus this question. And after they leave, Jesus does nothing but speak kindly of John. He says, what'd you, what'd, you, what'd you go to see? Did you go to see this reed shaken by the wind? And he, you know, John wasn't blown about by the changing winds of, of political or religious favor. He wasn't a flimsy reed. He was a steady person. He says, did you go to see a, a man clothed in soft raiment, someone that was very clean and, and reserved and, and well put together? And John wasn't, John wasn't looking for an easy time. What, We've seen the things he wore. We've, we've read the things that he, he ate. He didn't come to rule anything. He came to be a servant. He came to be one to prepare the way for Jesus. John wasn't a weakling. John wasn't a soft, sensitive man. He was a prophet. He was the forerunner for Jesus. And then Jesus says there's not a greater prophet than John. That question that John asked, that doubt that he had, did not change Jesus' perception of John. And then Jesus said, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. He says something good about John, then he says something that we might interpret to put John down. This isn't referring to the character of John this morning. Many Christians have a character that is nowhere near what John possessed. But did you know that our privileges exceed his? John was merely a friend of the bridegroom. We could look in John chapter 3, but we are not just a friend of the bridegroom, we are the bride of Christ. 
Those who are part of the, of the church, those who are, 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 are saved, are, have a greater state of privilege than John had. There's many great men and women of God who battled doubt. And Jesus, as he saw John's doubt, did not focus on the fault of John. He focused on the greatness of John's life. And I'm thankful this morning that God didn't give up on John. I'm thankful that he hasn't given up on me. He hasn't given up on you. I'm thankful today that he still loves us even when our faith is often weak. It's an old preacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. He'd, by the age of 19, he'd already enjoyed many successes and many opportunities to preach and have an impact on people. But when he was 19, he was attacked by doubt about God and the Bible. There are many scientists and agnostics that had written books that began to disturb him and bring him to a place of doubt. He read the things of Charles Darwin and John Tyndall, John Tyndall and, and Thomas Huxley, Herbert Spencer. He read these things and it hurt his faith. And as he read their books and as he listened to their debates, he became more and more confused and more doubt crept in and he canceled every meeting he had. He put all those books in a cupboard and locked them and then he went to a bookstore and he bought himself a new Bible. And he said, he wrote this down, he said, I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this, I am sure. If it be the word of God and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul itself. And he said the result was the Bible found me. It was in 1883 and it gave him the motivation to be one of the greatest evangelists of his generation in teaching and preaching. And he gave the rest of his life serving God. Let me tell you this morning, in times of doubt, go to God. Don't run from him. Get in the word. Just, just like it found G. Campbell Morgan, it will find you. you know, doubt can come to the strongest of Christians. Secondly, moments of doubt do not change how God sees us. And the third thing, last thing, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. You know, Jesus continues here in verse 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. Those people believed. There's two sides here. Belief. Some of them accepted Jesus. Some of them identified in that baptism. And then, and then in verse 30, the other side was the side of unbelief. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. Some rejected Jesus. Some rejected John. These Pharisees that refused to believe rejected God's free offer of salvation. What, what was going on in those people that, that would not repent? They, those people, they could not see they were the problem. Those Pharisees, they, they, they couldn't see their own sin. They didn't see their own need or, or deservement to be judged. It wasn't the Gentiles that needed to be judged, it was them as well. And not only did they not believe, they hated 
what Jesus and John had to say because it embarrassed them and because it humiliated them and because it brought them lower than what they saw themselves as and they were going to pretend like everyone else was the problem and they were going to cover up their sin and that was their plan for dealing with it. They didn't like it when Jesus and John put their finger on their hearts so some may have doubted but they believed and then there were others who lived in unbelief and they rejected the whole message. Warren Rearsby on this thought, he said, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why he is doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. And then he went on there in verse 31 through 35 to explain there was a generation of unbelievers. Look at verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. Jesus said, those who rejected both John and myself and Jesus are like children playing games in the marketplace. I could imagine this morning as he was giving this message to these Pharisees, they really probably did not appreciate being compared to children. Because they thought of themselves to be sophisticated. Too sophisticated for John's style. But in reality, they were so immature that a children's game would upset them. So this, this picture Jesus gave is one group of children saying, let's play wedding. Let's pretend to have a wedding and dance. But those people say, no, we don't want to play something happy. We, don't want, we want something different. I'm not playing your game. So that first group says, okay, then let's play funeral. That's contrasting situations, isn't it? We'll play a sad song and we'll pretend to be sorrowful. We'll play that game. And the, but the friends refused to play that game as well because they didn't like that idea either. What Jesus was saying here is you cannot, we cannot please you no matter what we do because they don't want to play unless they make up the game and they make up the rules. They don't want to play somebody else's game. They had heard, but they refused to respond. They didn't like it. They didn't agree with all of what Jesus or John had said. It just didn't exactly line up with what they thought it should be, so they refused to believe the truth. And here's the truth this morning about people who choose to live in unbelief. No approach can fix the message. They rejected John's message. It was a little too rough, a little too harsh, a little too in your face, and they said he was possessed of a devil. But they also rejected Jesus' message. John was too harsh, Jesus was too soft. He came eating and drinking and brought a message of joy, and they called him a glutton in a wine-bibber and he sat down he had the audacity to sit down and, and be kind to publicans and sinners those people that we do not have anything to do with he wasn't rigid enough 
They didn't want to hear the sermon of John the Baptist, and they didn't want to hear the sermon of Jesus. And the problem was not in the method or manner of John or Jesus. The problem was the hearts of those who did not believe. In the end, it's not the style. They rejected John with this bizarre, bizarre uh, approach that, and, and that very separated ministry, and they rejected Jesus with a very normal day-to-day kind ministry. They hated them both. They rejected them both. Style had nothing to do with it. They hated the truth. Often it's not the style, it's the substance. The form of delivery is not most often the issue, it's the truth. I tell you today that the gospel in the mouth of the most bizarre or the most beautiful person is still equally powerful. Some just hate the message. I'll tell you something today, no matter who is preaching it, the message is what every one of us need. The word of God was given for you. Jesus came for you. And don't allow yourself to live and refuse it because some Christian rubbed you the wrong way. Don't allow yourself to come to a state of mind where you no longer want to live by the word of God or, or listen to what it said or, or move when it is preached because someone was a little too weird for you or a little too off-putting for you or a little, uh, maybe a little too soft for you. It's truth. No matter who's delivering it, we need to accept it and obey it. And Jesus said wisdom is, vindic- is justified of all her children. It's vindicated in all of her children. And Jesus said that the vast majority of Jews, they were hardened and they were unreasonable. Reasonable. There were some, and then there were some who were not. There were many who looked at John or Jesus and saw no wisdom and nothing good of anything Jesus or John had to say. But there were a few who did, and those were the children of wisdom. Most people declared their conviction that God's way of dealing with the Jews were wise and right. They chose belief over doubt and unbelief. And they proved themselves to be wise. So there's two things for us today. First question, do you believe? Are you saved? Are you a child of God? No matter if you like me or not, this is true. No matter what some preacher may have said when you were a child that offended you or hurt your family, the word of God is true. The second thing, are you struggling in a prison experience like John and living in doubt? If that's you, you're in good company. Many others have dealt with the same thing. Can I tell you this morning, God still sees you the same. Jesus and his power hasn't changed. So what you must do in times of doubt is trust him. Because he is all you need. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.